This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how's your EP, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. I'm uh, mixing up today, up in the kitchen. Just uh, <laughs> a change you know of pace. I was, I was going to mix it up today myself because I've got a free house as well. Um, but I thought, you know what, stick with familiarity and go down familiar routes. Um, yeah. So I, I kept my usual surroundings, but you're obviously a bit more experimental. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's a little bit closer to the coffee machine as well. So, uh, yeah, it saves having to walk up and down. Uh, but yeah, except for that, mate. Obviously, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, so Mike. Uh, but we need to we need to talk about Liverpool's week. So when it comes to today's show, we're going to be analysing what happened at Brentford, uh, and he was a fair bit. Um, then we're going to look at pause on with week, and obviously we have a big game to preview. We have Manchester City Sunday. Obviously a big game, so looking forward to previewing that one. But first up. Brentford, you know, it was a, it was a, I mean, it, we, we previewed the game and we said it would be difficult and I think we got that element right. But what do you think, Dave, about what we said about Brentford on the attacking side? And do you think, do you think we got it wrong or do you think they just really hit home on a specific weakness or, you know, because in attack they obviously scored three against us, which is mm. more than Liverpool conceded and all of their previous games combined in the Premier League this season. Mm, mm. So, uh, how are you viewing the game? Um, yeah, I thought we uh, we were right to raise a few concerns. You know, I'm not going to give give too much of a pat on the back because I still think we, we, we well, I know I did anyway, I predicted a Liverpool win. Obviously, that didn't turn out to be the case. Um, but yeah, very strange to see Liverpool concede those kind of goals and, and concede three of them. Um, not something that we've become accustomed to. Um, they've been dealing very well with similar threats this season. Um, obviously, with a more settled back line. But, you know, I think a, a big thing that, uh, sorry, Brentford did quite well um, was the attacking in numbers. Uh, you know, Carragher to an extent alluded to it on Monday Night Football. But um, I just think that. When, when you when you're overloading like the penalty area and stuff, it's it, it can catch uh, teams from a defensive point of view anyway. A little bit cold, you know. Players who would if if you if you were a little bit more expectant of it, maybe players would drop in a little bit more. Uh, so do more even even numbers in the penalty penalty area, uh, making it a little bit easier to defend against. But there was a couple of times where I think one or two Liverpool's more attacking players didn't drop in. Um, giving Brentford the advantage in terms of having these overloads. And it reminded me a little bit, Josh, of remember Leeds at Anfield last season where they they scored three at Anfield, quite rare. Um, but they, te- they, they had success really by just committing so many men forward. Uh, and not many teams do that against Liverpool because what tends to happen is the Liverpool tend to punish them uh, in breaks and in their own attacks. To an extent, this happened again. You know, they scored three goals uh, but couldn't get couldn't get a winner. Uh, and I, I, that's, for me, what I think kind of uh, worked in Brentford's favour and how they managed to do what many teams don't do and that score more than a couple of goals against Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it. The way Liverpool aren't usually 
they don't usually defend like that. I don't. They don't usually suffer from from problems like that. That was why I personally believed. You know, looking at Brentford's numbers throughout the season, obviously it's very early, so you can't really go on these numbers to be honest. But um, just looking at what their attack had been like so far this season, and looking at Liverpool's defence, and specifically looking at the aerial strength of Van Dijk and Gomez, eh, Van Dijk and Masip, alongside the speed of them two as well. I thought Liverpool would have more than enough to keep Brentford relatively quiet. Um, but I think we, we just didn't. Uh, you know, it's, it's individually, I don't think we were particularly great defensively. Um, and I think, you know, on the back of the game, there's been a bit of analysis in terms of why Liverpool didn't get the three points. And some emphasis has been placed on the, the chances that Liverpool missed. You know, I think... Salah in particular had two good opportunities to put the ball in the net, didn't. But I, I can't help thinking, Dave, I am inclined to put this very simple and say, a, a, any match in which you score three, if you don't win, it's because of your defence. You know, mm. you've scored three goals on the positive side there, on the attacking side. So if you don't win three points, you, you have to look at the defence. You can't then expect even more from the attack. You should have scored four to win the game. You should have scored five to win the game. Mm. At the end of the day, we shouldn't have conceded three and. Any team going for the league shouldn't be conceding three in that manner, in my opinion. But hopefully, it's a bit of a. It was a bit of an anomaly, really, and it was a bit of a specific struggle against this specific opponent. Because in the way they attacked us, I, I must admit I was impressed in terms of how they specifically targeted Liverpool's back post, which is always interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's again though that that kind of overload. You have you have these extra players in the box. Um, maybe you know we use Trent as an example. Um, maybe he needs one of those midfielders or attackers that he lured the two down to to drop in with him just to even numbers out a little bit. You don't, and that's what causes issues um, because you've got men committed for things like throw-ins and set pieces. They've committed men right up the pitch. Um, whether even if they don't win that initial say knockdown, the initial first header, um, if the ball then breaks breaks them, the second ball comes out of them, they can they're obviously still dangerous, still got a lot of men committed up, up the pitch. Um and as we saw a couple of times, certainly in those kind of back post areas. I think there was a there was a couple on Robertson's side as well, to be fair. Um but yeah, you can can't you can overload against one man. Um, you know, if you think about Trent's Obviously, fantastic player. We know that we don't need to keep, you know, we don't need to go over old ground on that. But do you look at him and think he's he's elite in the air, for example? No, I'd say for me, he's pretty pretty standard uh, from a defensive point of view. And obviously, if you imagine to put like centre backs and stuff, which is what Brentford did in those positions, then you back them one v one. Then they've got another. If you've got other attackers around it, then they're there to pick up the uh, the spill balls as well. So yeah, it, it, I mean, it worked really well. I, I mean, I do just want to echo your point, what you're saying about the attacking performance. Um, I don't think the Liverpool could have done much more there. I, I, I've brought the numbers up now, XG 2.5. Um, had 15 shots, falling on target, you know, even little things like corners, 11 corners to two. Liverpool are being quite dangerous from set pieces this this season. So you'd be looking at that thinking that's a good sign. Um, it is, sadly, on, on this occasion, you are, you are looking at the defence and, I thought everybody, as you said, you touched on personnel. I thought a few did look shaky. It was probably the worst I've seen Van Dyke in a while, actually. Um, by his standards, again, I just thought he was a little bit not bad, just just ordinary. But that stands out with him. Um, 
Obviously, Trent's stuff has made up made of him as well. So, just a peculiar defensive performance. Yeah, I would agree. You know, looking at looking at the numbers that you just mentioned there, Liverpool did post two point five xG in attack, but Brentford posted one point nine, which mm. I think is the highest Brentford have posted this season so far. Must admit, a lot of that, a lot of that xG was was around the the big scrambles really in and around the penalty spot. Um you know, the I think the second goal in particular, Pontus Janssen hits the bar from two yards out. Um and then it gets put in by I think it's Vitali Janelt. Uh the first goal Ethan Pinnock scores from two yards. Um and Brian and Bremo as well had a a really clear good chance. So I think a lot of it was around that back post ploy. Um and I must admit, it's it's a tactic that I did really like, and nobody else has really done it against Liverpool. No one else comes to mind anyway. But I thought it was really clever, considering you know it's difficult to do Liverpool on crosses just because of this aerial strength of the centre backs. But if you can get to the byline or around that area at least, and you can put your deliveries at the back post, Brentford. When he, when he were doing this, they had three players at that back stick against Trent. So, you know, one player against Trent could win the ball. So when you've got three picking up second balls and rebounds in that area, it really did benefit them. And all three of their goals came from the back stick. Two of them in particular came from aerial balls, I think, into that back stick. And yeah, in terms of uh, Van Dijk, I think I am inclined to agree while also thinking that if he weren't on the pitch, Liverpool probably would have considered even more, I think. Mm. Uh, like there was there was a moment with Ivan Tony where he kind of saved our skin a little bit by backtracking. Um just looking at Tony's numbers actually. Uh, on the day he won seven aerial duels and lost eight. Um which is quite decent for a striker up against Liverpool. I think on the back of it, Dave, you wrote a piece on Tony, didn't you? And I think a few people since have actually linked him with Liverpool, funny enough. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, I mean, it, it was more a kind of ex- exploring piece, I guess, because obviously, I, I mean, I didn't know this, Josh. Maybe you did. Maybe most listening or watching did know this, but I didn't know he was a Liverpool fan. So I thought those comments afterwards. No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. That was Come what from... sparked a few of the rumours, because uh, that's obviously a nice thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, he seems, you know, he, he was really proud to play in that game and talked about, obviously, scoring in the, in the Copleys in the season. We'll wait and see if that happens. But yeah, look, I think it, it, I guess I wrote a piece on it because it's it's just an interesting prospect when you think of the conversations that Liverpool fans have had between them, you know, over the summer, especially whether a kind of traditional number nine profile is needed and, you know, does he fit that bill? You you could make the case, obviously, if that's what if that's what Liverpool are looking for, that, that he would. Um we scored loads of goals. I think he's he's got a, a lot of likable traits, hasn't he? To be fair, Josh. Um, so I'm not definitely saying that he should be a player Liverpool going by, uh, but he's a, he's a, he's a handful. He's a goal scorer. Um, he works very hard off the ball as well. And in terms of ticking boxes, there's three there that definitely apply to Liverpool. So again, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying it should be a move they make, but uh, you can understand why why people have been talking about it in the days since. Yeah, I mean, I must, I must be honest. I'd be truly amazed if anything happened in that department when it comes to Tony going to Liverpool. I, I cannot see that, but I do think that 
he did impress he impressed me in the in the game and you know I, I we previewed the game talking about how Tony had kind of bullied Connor Cody a little bit, bullied Ben White. And I just didn't see him doing it against his Liverpool. I don't think he was I don't think it was bullying in particular, but he was he was just as you said, a handful. He was just occupying Liverpool's defensive line. Um and he did it really well. He did he did hold his own against, in my opinion, the best centre back player in the league. Um so you know, a frustrating one, I think, from a Liverpool perspective, but one that you, you do there's an element of you do almost have to take your ass off to Brentford a little bit in that one because they, they did cause Liverpool problems and I think they'll cause plenty of teams problems throughout the season. I'll be mm. very surprised, Dave, if they're anywhere near relegation come mm. next May. Yeah, I think uh, I think they've got enough about them to cause issues on the road, but especially at home. It's just really hostile environments, loads of energy. Um, you know, They're definitely a team who benefit from having fans. It would have been interesting to see how they would have fared last season. Um, but obviously this season they seem to seems to be working really well for them. You think I, I I think there's another home game in here, and maybe typically this didn't go the way. I actually think they did lose the other one. But you think of uh, two teams who've come uh, to, to play them away. It's Brent, uh, Arsenal, which okay, you know we I think we've all laughed at Arsenal at various points because of how they can be. But as we saw last Sunday, they, they still are, you know a top side at times, and I think. Had they, Brentford not made a difficult night, then maybe Arsenal could have started the season with a win there, but they did. Uh, and then Liverpool comes to town, and Liverpool have been in, let's be honest, scintillating form all season. You know, like it really kind of have been looking like that 1920 version of Liverpool. And um, and you and you take a point off them after falling behind twice. Um, you know, it would have been easy to maybe head drop a little bit, but it just didn't happen, did it? Uh, they kept coming back. Um, you know, they, they had a few close calls as well. They, Tony had that offside one, didn't they? Uh, they just they were they were never present kind of danger, uh, and it was a it was a fixed I'm pretty sure Liverpool would have been glad that they don't have to play again uh, this season. I hope away anyway. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think at Anfield, I don't think it would have been as much of a game like that if Monst, and I don't think it would have been as much of a game like that if Liverpool had the likes of Thiago available, um, but. You know, as, as you said, it was it was very much a, a Brentford home game, um, and it just it, it played into their hands. But f- again, fair play to them for kind of manifesting it almost. You know, I, as I said, I did like the game plan, like specifically what he did in the attack and things. So plenty of teams will struggle against them throughout the season. But I think initially, right now, they just they're obviously a promoted side, so it's, it's a little bit of a sore one. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. In terms of um, Liverpool performances, just a quick one on Mo Salah, Dave, <laughs> because he scored his 100th Premier League goal for Liverpool, I think it was. Um, talk about him. <laughs> How good is he? Well, what, I mean, what what can be said now? That hasn't really been said already. I am just an elite player, a, a true Premier League great, really. Uh, if you look at what you've done, if, if you look at scoring records, if you look at those goals coming from what is effectively a, a right, right side of the attack and roll rather than through the middle. Um, a, a, a highly driven, motivated player. Um, you know, he's, he's. He, I think that, that if you think of the kind of players who've got his talent over the years, how many of them have kind of had the, the, the baggage to go with it? You know, the kind of being a, 
I'm thinking of examples like, you know, a Cantona or someone like that. You know, the, the true greats of the game. Suarez. Suarez, yeah. Suarez, great example. Obviously, Liverpool connection there. Suarez was an unbelievable play, but he brought so much baggage with him. And the, his actions on the pitch, um, you know, like the biting gates and things and just the, the way he could be. Um, obviously, I know he's a big fan favourite, so I'm careful what I'm saying, but I think people understand the point I'm trying to make. But, no, Salah gives you absolutely none of that. He just gives you pure output, fantastic play, player, model professional. Um, his work ethic is second to none, isn't it? I mean, his his physique, Josh, <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? You know, we, uh, no one he's always taking the top off because uh, I'd be doing the same walking down the street. <laughs> it's uh, he's just yeah, there's just a top top player and a true a true Liverpool great and Premier League great. Yeah, he is honestly incredible. And- so at the minute he, he is in top form, like as good as I've seen of him, to be honest. Hmm. Um, but his, his numbers are ridiculous. I think I think there's an argument for him to. I think he probably owns it. To be honest, that as the um, probably the best attacking, probably the best African player ever. I think. Um, well, he's I mean, um, sorry, Josh. Just on that point, he is something like two goals behind Drogba now to be the all-time yeah. African scorer. Yeah, I mean you've got Drogba in there. You've got Samuel Eto'o. Yeah, yeah, Torre, he's probably got a shout in there. Um, Bamiyang plays like this, but I do think Salah is just, he's been doing it now so relentlessly for a few years. And I've just looked at his numbers now. So this is Premier League only since he since he joined Liverpool. Over This is over the course of 151 appearances. Almost 13,000 minutes. Over that period, he's averaging a goal or an assist every game. <laughs> He's averaging a goal or an assist every ninety-four minutes, so that that's incredible. You know, over the course of the minutes he's played at Liverpool, we know obviously a game of football is every ninety minutes. Then you've got out of time. He's averaging a goal or an assist every ninety-four minutes for Liverpool in the Premier League. As you said, from a starting wide role, obviously we know he comes inside and attacks central areas. So it's a bit of an unfair shout, anyway. To be honest, that one, but mm. he he is just naturally such a massive threat. Um, and I, I know a while back there was a bit of a comparison, wasn't he, with Sadio Mane and things. I think for me, Salah is a, a bit ahead of Mane overall. Um, but just as a side point, we don't usually do this, but just a curious one. You just mentioned Suarez there. Uh, who are you taking, prime-wise? Um, really tough. Well, actually, you know what? I, I, it's weird maybe if you asked me this 12 months ago I would have given you a different answer but I'd, I'd definitely be taking Salah now to be honest would um, you? yeah Big definitely shows. I think if I look back Suarez was Suarez was a bit of a maverick wasn't he he just seemed to do unbelievable things and what was in comparison to what we're seeing now a fairly ordinary Liverpool side for the bulk of time he was he was there um, but I don't know I just I just think Salah I has been consistently kind of doing it now for about what four years is it? He's into his fourth Liverpool year now. Um, yeah, you know what? In fact, I'm, I'm definitely going with Salah. Salah over Suarez for me. Why are you going with? I I can't choose. I, I oh, you can't. No way. No way. You're doing that to me. Come on. You're not staying on that fence. I can't. I can't. It's not possible. I think in any other. All right. Explain your reasoning then for pros and cons for each. Well, right, cons, any- cons is hard, isn't it? Pros. Any any other Liverpool forward 
Salah is comfortably ahead of. I don't think. I don't think Fernando Torres comes close to him. To be honest, I don't think Torres comes close to Suarez either. Um, but Suarez is. I mean, I don't just mean Liverpool here. I mean, I mean, I mean, after Suarez moved to Barcelona, he had a season right in La Liga. This is La Liga only. He scored forty in La Liga and registered sixteen assists in Liverpool. His final season at Liverpool. Not surrounded by the best players, he scored 31 and assisted 12 without taking a single penalty in 33 starts. Mm. Like, that's that's ridiculous. That so, I think for Liverpool, Salah probably edges it, but I think overall, as a player, I cannot separate them. The, the both because I think Swan is at one point probably had the biggest shout of anyone in the past like decade to take the Ballon d'Or from Messi and Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody else has came has come close to deservingly taking the Ballon d'Or from Messi or Ronaldo than Suarez when he I think it was when he scored forty or when he had that thirty one goal Premier League campaign with Liverpool at the end of his time here. I'm sorry, so, I'm just smiling as we're talking. This is even sparking the debate in our kind of like producer chat where um, Guy Clark's gone Salah. Uh, Kai said Salah, <laughs> although he's pointing out rightfully Suarez missed the first eight games of the 13 14 season, which is often forgot. Um, yeah, it's, it is it is nuts. And this is why I can't separate them. I think at, at Liverpool, it's probably fair to say Salah has undoubtedly been more consistent. Like if you look at Suarez's numbers at Liverpool, um, yeah, he arrived for half a season at the start, so we'll skip that one. But his first full season, he scored 11, th- uh, three assists. Following season, to be fair, he scored 23 and assisted five. Again, no penalties in that. They're better numbers than I, than I remember, actually. Yeah. Um, but, I, but Salah's numbers are uh, daft as well. So, And Salah's in a better team. So it, it just really is difficult. I think if you, if you were to look at this current club side and you were said. Put Suarez up front. I mean, he's. Well, we're talking prime Suarez here as well. Like, I know off the field, he's a bit of a fruitcake at times. Loose cannon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it it really is a. I can't, I can't, I can't pick between them. So Suarez only scored two goals in, in six matches after March in the thirteen fourteen season, which is both quite interesting. Um, obviously, so that was the he, run in as well, wasn't it? Yeah, well, there was some shout around that, that season where in, in the big game, he was a bit of a flat-sack bully, I think, Suarez. Yeah. Um, don't think he scored in too many of the big games, but... I mean, what... Was, yeah. I guess if we look at it two ways before we move on, I think goal scorer, I, I'm going with uh, Salah. What what I thought was great about Suarez was he was a bit of a genius, really, in the attacking third. Like, he just seemed to... You know, you can pull him against the corner flag with three men around him and he probably make two of them and dribble his way out. And then it's a shot from like, you know, a, a, but the, the, the nth degree and put it in the top bin. He, he kind of do that madness. Yeah, the only thing is with that, he then went to Barcelona and played alongside an, an obvious main man um, and still scored 40. Yeah. You know, in, in that season. The following season, he scored 28. following season, he scored 25. following season, he scored 21. I wonder how many Messi scored in that season. He scored 40. When he scored 40, Suarez, Messi, yeah. didn't score oh. as many. So no. that, that year, Suarez, I think he scored the most in Europe that, that year. And that's why I think that season in particular, 
Suarez had a big shout for the Ballon d'Or. I can't remember who won it. Ronaldo might have won it because Real Madrid won the Champions League or something. But um, it was one of the two, win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's one of them fun debates, isn't it, that we don't usually have on this show. Um, open to open to opinion, open to uh, interpretation and stuff. But there's no way. Ra- yeah, I'd rather talk about this than this Porto game. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> well, in the in the, in the Porto game. Um, in fact, no, before we move on to the Porto game, one thing right. I did want to flag from the the Brentford game. I mean, I, I wouldn't usually highlight this because at the end of the day, Jürgen Klopp knows a lot more than I do. But one of the subs I found particularly strange in the game, and it was, I think it was his only sub, actually. So Curtis Jones was just scored. Oh, yeah. um, and immediately after he scores, Liverpool go 3-2 up. Immediately after he scores, he gets substituted. And he got substituted for a fourth attacker in Roberto Firmino. So Liverpool took a lead, took off the scorer immediately and sacrificed the midfielder. Um, and as a result, in my opinion, if you move from four from four three three to four two three one, you lose a bit of control in the midfield and you lose a bit of maybe defensive coverage in the wide areas and support for the fullbacks. And obviously we've touched on Brentford's targeting of the back post with crosses. So the number eights, in my opinion, were quite important in this game, helping out the fullbacks and stopping these crosses into the box and things. So I'm not usually one to pick up on bad subs or whatever, but this was one that I'm not too, I'm not too sure it was the right move because I think it was it was the decision was made before Liverpool scored and mm. he went he kept he retained it, he kept went through with it. And sometimes I would argue that's a good thing because if a game's going a certain way, you make the change regardless of the, as a result. But then there's another part of me that thinks, Well, hang on, the game state's changed quite dramatically there. Do you change your substitute you see, see what I'm saying? So Yeah, yeah. I think um it, it was clearly a premeditated change, wasn't it? Uh whether It'd be interesting to see what the thought process was, whether it was important to get legs in for you know, um, or whether he's potentially looking at it thinking, do we need to get a fourth goal because of the, how vulnerable we've we've looked from a defensive point of view, um, which you know could have maybe been the thought thought process behind that. Um, I, I mean, I, 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 I have no real issue with um, Firmino coming on the pitch, but I just. I think at that point when that goal goes oh, in, I don't. Swap. I I just wouldn't have done it for for Jones. I would have. You kept, would have done a straight swap. Yeah, for probably Jota, maybe. Uh, even though Jota had scored in the game, but I think Jones on the back of that, any, any normal person gets a boost from scoring a goal, and then on the back of that, you have a lead. So, in my opinion, you want more control in the midfield. So, you want your midfield three there. You don't want a midfield two. So, yeah, on the back of that, I I might have still made the substitute. But I would have, I would have not taken off Jones, and I would have taken off one of the front three. Um, mm. And it's obviously hindsight, isn't it? It's one of them that's really easy to talk about now. But in the moment, I remember thinking that's a bit of an odd one. Yeah, um, yeah. especially when you just score. How often do you see players score, and then they uh, they suddenly changes the board, doesn't it? In the end, or there ten, fifteen minutes. But um, as you said, a little bit different this time. A little bit of a different change. Yeah. So. Um, one point anyway, not too, not the best, but it was one of them weekends, to be honest. Uh, Man United lost, I think. Chelsea obviously lost. So, just one of them, we move on. 
Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. We moved on to Porto. <laughs> God, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to make a cup of tea, mate. Just give you, you take this one and uh, give me a shout when you do it. It was funny last week, actually, because I think I remember you just kind of going, oh, it'll be 4 0. And I remember just thinking to myself, he just threw that one out there because we always beat them 4 0. And I actually thought it was a bit of a naive shout, but then we just yeah. go and beat them 5 1. Yeah. And like, same as same always, you know, normality restored type thing. It, it, it's, it's funny how Liverpool had this real hold. Not not just yeah. over Porto, but over Porto away from home. Yeah, it's like Norwich of the Champions League, aren't they? Um, yeah. I, honestly, I I fully expected this 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 result. Um, I don't I don't know what it is. You know, maybe it won't happen one year, but um, Liverpool just have the number. Um, I'm sure if you you know you're really crunched into the tactics of it, then maybe maybe it can be better better explained as to why they have so much success, but. I mean, what I would say is that Porto should probably do better on some of the goals, shouldn't he? If we're being brutally honest. Um, and you made a good when, when we spoke this morning. You were like, a few of the goals at the field of like years gone by in, in being equally as not not yeah. naff. That would be unfair on Liverpool, but from their point of view, from Porto's point of view, a little bit naff. Well, we seem to score these really sloppy, um, bad goals basically against Porto from from like two yards out and things and. Our forwards seem to have all the time in the world when they're getting shots off, um, and it was it was one of them again. You know, Porto went into the game unbeaten, and I think it was eighteen games. Um, obviously, they've just faced out to go Madrid, nil nil draw. Uh, I do think we benefited from Pepe suffering a bit of a knock, mm-hmm. a bit of an injury in the warm up. Um, he would have been a bit of a nightmare, I'm assuming. Um, and early on, I think Otavio who's one of their more established midfielders, had to come off with an injury. But st- still on the back of that, it was just a lot easier than I expected. And I don't know why I keep expecting a relatively tough game away at Porto, because it doesn't seem to be happening for Liverpool. But I think specifically, Dave, one thing I wanted to flag, if you look at the goals, their goalkeeper was absolutely nuts, mate. Like, <laughs> I haven't seen anything like it. Yeah. I mean, where where was he going for uh, for me? He knows. I don't know why. why he, well, I don't know what he's he spotted there, or if he's kind of gambled initially. Probably realised it was a mistake and just in for the penny and for the pound. But that one was a bit naff. Um, I'm trying to think of the other one. That was a bit of a stinker. But the, uh, well, the the, the, the the first one. In fact, no. Hang on. I don't think it was the first. Whatever goal Marnage was, um, the ball gets. The ball gets played across the face from James Milner from a wide position. Yeah, I'm going to watch and it. it kind of rolls, yeah, it rolls right the way through. But the keeper just seems to... He seems to come out and just let the ball go. <laughs> like, like, yeah, and yeah. I remember, I think it was Steve McManaman on the commentary, and he just said, what is he doing? What is the goal I don't know. doing? The only thing I'm trying to watch it now. The only thing I wonder if he thinks the his defender to the right of him is just there with no players or Liverpool attackers around him. He can deal with it, but I mean, there's two there. You've got Mane waiting, and then I think that's Minamino behind him. Like there's two of them lining up. I have no idea what he's thinking there. No yeah, idea whatsoever. It, 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 yeah, that's absolutely baffling. I just watched it again, um, and the first one as well. It, it's a really bad fumble. Um, 
it's a, it's a really bad save, really, because he pushes it back into a really dangerous area. Salah obviously had just as a tapping. So it was yeah. one of them games where Liverpool's finishing was really helped by their goalkeeper having one of them disaster days. Um, but it was a really strange performance, I thought. Is he any good Costa? Like as a keeper, is he? he not I've never really looked that much into him, but I mean, he looks shocking based on based on that. There, I'm just trying to work out whether it could have been a bad night or what. Yeah, he's 22, 22 years old. He is. Um, but I don't. Other yeah. than that, I don't know that much about him to be honest. Just having a look at his history now. Yeah, he came through a portal. Seems to be a youth product. Um, born in Switzerland, funny enough, but. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know too much about him. And with it being the Portuguese league, we don't have access to his save numbers, so I'm not sure if he's underperforming or overperforming over a period or whatever. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. But just a really bad that? performance. I suppose on that on that fourth one, sorry, it, Porto's line is, is really high, isn't it? But that, that ball's got no legs on it whatsoever. What is he thinking? Oh, yeah, it wow. is insane. Well, after, the, um, after Firmino gets the ball... And Firmino takes the shot. And obviously there's not much on the shot and it's just going towards goal. I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen a goalkeeper full pelt sprinting like that. Yeah. And, and it's and it's funny because that full pelt sprint is a product of just a terrible decision to come out when you're never going to get the ball. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really weird performance from from a bad goalkeeper. I think the last, the last time Liverpool had a, a bad goalkeeping performance against them. To be honest, Dave, I think is is it Robles? Joel Robles comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. Everton. And, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he, he scored one or two weird ones. Yeah, there was one. Uh, I think Manny scored a really good one uh, where he put someone on the backside. Um, I can't remember who it was, but really, but yeah, the, I think Arigi has one a short edge of the box, <laughs> and I think Robles like tries to gamble on which way it's gonna go. Um, and ends up just kind of taking like four steps. Like he jumps to his right, and just I think Origi to straight down the middle or something. It's if anyone, I'm sure every Liverpool fan remembers it, but if not, go and watch it back. It was such a bizarre goal. Or oh, there's one, yeah. another one where I think Mane is across the goal mouth, and Robles kind of like went to chase it, <laughs> chase it into his own goal. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a bad goal, yeah. Yeah, it was a strange performance, but yeah. if, if these keep giving them out against Liverpool, I'll well, take it every day of the week. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? We're kind of too focused on talking about all that, that you forget that it's a, a fantastic result, really, in Europe. It doesn't really matter if it's if it's pause or it's a win away in Europe, five goals and two wins from two, so can't complain, I guess. Yeah, just before we move on, I think it's important to obviously give the man of the moment is a bit of a shout and that is Curtis Jones you know he, he did score against Brentford obviously we took him off rightly or wrongly um, and he starts and plays the full 90 against Porto and in my opinion was Liverpool's best player mm. uh, registered two assists on the day and could have got one or two himself could have got a few more assists I think actually um, mm. but just a really well-rounded performance from a player who just simply puts does not look 20 no, 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 he's uh, very good. Uh, no, again, we were talking earlier, but I think what kind of neatly summarises his game was he was the target of more of pool passes than any other player on the night, and he recorded the most progressive yards towards the Porto goal, uh, which is impressive, really, for a midfielder. Um, he looked really good on the ball. Um, 
you know, really tidy technically. Um, Forza's vision was fantastic, but his, his work rate off the ball to get into those good areas to be, you know, a target of so many passes is testament to him again. And yeah, we have talked about him before. It felt like he, it looked like he went off the boil a little bit, didn't it, at the start of the season because he just wasn't getting minutes. Um, and we may be reading too much into that, but yeah, he's he, to think he's 20 is just crazy. And maybe as harsh as it was for Elliot, he's probably benefited from Elliot going out to the side so he can kind of get more minutes on the pitch. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm just laughing, just thinking of. The, I don't want to say too much glowing stuff on there, Jones, because I remember someone's taking snippets of us talking about Jones and turning it into a song. <laughs> do you I don't remember that one. Yeah, no, I do. Yeah, it's. Uh, oh yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, know. and uh, yeah, if you if you listen to me, that was a really enjoyable one. Though. <laughs> yeah, and sorry, I'm not laughing that yeah. I just remember thinking I'll have to be careful what I say now in case someone does that again in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that was a regular listener, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, get, get reach out if you if you're the boss. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, we uh, did enjoy that. But yeah, so in, in all anyway, back to the point, Josh, really good performance again. Yeah, I mean if you if you look at his statistical profile, Dave on, on FB ref, just just at the top as overview based on his numbers, based on only his numbers as well, that's it. Uh, he's in a really high percentiles for a lot of things. Um, so com- compared to midfielders from Europe's top five leagues over the last 365 days, um, it's about 1,751 minutes. And he's in the 98th percentile for assists, the 96th percentile for pass completion, the 97th percentile for progressive carries, dribbles is right up there, progressive passes received is right up there, shot-creating actions is good. So, I mean, I'm just reeling off random numbers there, but you can check that yourself on fbref.com. Um, but in, and in terms of similar players, because uh, FBref has a tool that looks purely at a player's numbers across a number of departments and just comes up with similar players similar statistical profiles and it's insistent that the top three similar players based on the past year to Curtis Jones are Ilkay Gundogan, Bernardo Silva and Mason Mount, all of whom I think have obviously that relatively reliable central midfield skill set but while also offering just natural offensive qualities to the game. Mm. Um, Particularly I think Mason Mount is an interesting comparison there because I can see the intensity of the pair of them. Uh, they both they can both kind of play as forwards if need be, but they can also play as eights. Um, so you know, bodes well for Jones, who, as I said, is twenty years old. And when he was getting linked over the summer, there was a few little little links with Aston Villa and teams like that. I I had absolute. I've had no doubt for a while actually that Curtis Jones is comfortably good enough to be to stay at Liverpool for for quite a while. I don't think he's. Going to get to a point where Liverpool start to beat and sell them or anything like that. And I don't think he's going to spiral anytime soon. I think he's, just, he's only going to improve really for me, for me, Dave. Yeah, I'd agree with a lot of that. I do think there's been a doubt around him. Uh, not necessarily here, but, you know, on the Twitterverse, so, which is kind well, of how I get my Liverpool insight into what fans <laughs> are thinking. One thing I will say is if you look at Liverpool's usual system, he's probably a bit more. Offensive minded, isn't he? Than Klopp's usual eights. So, in the usual system, which obviously gives license to the two fullbacks, 
is Jones an I suppose a natural fit in the eight for a system like that? Or is it a case of okay, when if he was to play on the as the left side at eight, does Robertson get forward as much? Does Robertson get told to be a bit more cautious because Jones is next to him? You know, mm. that sort of stuff. But mm. I'm not sure he's entirely I think it was similar when Ox was coming through. Is is Ox too attacking to play on the same to cover Trent, you know, I think there's that dynamic a little bit with Jones. I think he changes the dynamic a little bit. Mm, potentially, yeah. You know, have you got to be a little bit more protective when he plays? It's you know, it's a it's a fair case you're making. Um, I guess that's the that's the kind of headache that you have. You know, people kind of think it's just about putting play, good players in and letting them do the thing. But you've you've got to think of the wider picture on the pitch, uh, and maybe that's one of the. I wouldn't say issues. I think that that way it's too extreme. Extreme, but one of the things just to consider whenever whenever he plays. Yeah. So speaking of protection, Dave, we're going to provide protection on the defensive side. Liverpool have Manchester City next. Mm. That's definitely going to be needed. Um, are we looking forward to this one, Dave? We uh, looking forward to on Liverpool side. Do you think City will um, will go into this one with confidence? I don't know. At? I, I, so I think it was a, obviously a really big result uh, for them against Chelsea, which I don't know if you managed to catch it. Josh was it was a really impressive performance. To be fair to, I don't know it was only a one 0 victory, but they were so good um, against Chelsea. You, you know we've been raving about uh, you know side who we think pushed Liverpool all the way. Did really well against them. Um, do you does your confidence take a bit of a knock after getting beat by PSG? Probably. Um, well, I will say with City, Josh, is I, I'm not 100% on where, where I am on that attack. You know, I think the defence is, is ludicrous. You know, I, I don't know if you've got the numbers there, but they've, they've faced five shots on target the whole season, which is just crazy. Yeah, I'll, I think. I'll have a quick look at the numbers now. So, yeah. in terms of shots overall, City have faced 36 in total. Um the next best is 58, and that's Wolves. Hmm. And then Liverpool and Manchester United on 64. And, yeah, in terms of shots on target, City have faced five. Hmm. The next best is 14, 17, 18. That's Liverpool, 19, 20, 20, 21. So City on five shots on target hmm. faced. Mate, they've accumulated um, 0.9 of an XG against in terms of uh, all season. So that's six league games, 0.9 XG. No, yeah. not even one. It's, and at, you know, I've got to say, the, the thing is as well, usually when you're facing a team like this, when the shots do come, they're usually quite clear, quite quite, uh, quite clear cut because, uh, you know, you, you've break, broke a press or whatever. Yeah, coming in but transitions. Yeah, but City's expected goals against per shot that they face is also the best in the league. Mm. Yeah. You know, the average, the average shot that City face has an eight percent chance of finding the net. Um, Liverpool, twelve percent chance of finding the net. So uh, yeah. doesn't it sound like there's not much in that? But practicality on a pitch, that's that's a fair amount. Yeah, exactly. So you're looking, you think defensively, really robust at the moment. The only headache that for me, Josh, right, is a look at the score lines recently they've had so far this season. Uh, for, you know. Failed to score against PSG. So they have the one goal against Chelsea. They score six versus Wickham. So you can't really look too much into that. 
Uh, draw a blank against Southampton. Knock six past RB Leipzig. Um, just the one goal against Leicester. Five past Arsenal. Five past Norwich. But then they draw the blank against Spurs and draw the blank against Leicester in the uh, you know the Community Shield finals. But I, the thing that jumps out to me there is it feels like they can't. Oh, there seems to be a couple of issues maybe, and um, I don't know. I can't articulate my point, but. It's either like the blowing sides away or struggling to score with very little middle ground. Yeah, I mean, is it a case of you maybe doubting their attack or you doubting their ability to finish? That exactly that, yeah. You know, attacking wise, you'd be foolish to doubt them, wouldn't you, really? You know, underlying numbers back up that they're good attacking sides, they've got fantastic players. I think they come alive in the attacking third. It's just they haven't got. Like a, a Salah, for example, you know, just a Salah just finishing it. Uh, they haven't got a Lukaku like Chelsea have. They've got, well, the main number nine is Jesus, who is a fantastic player. But, you know, if you look at his, I think we've done this recently, Josh, but it might be worth a revisit. But if, if you look at his underlying numbers since he's come to England, I'm pretty sure across the seasons in the Premier League, he's underperformed against his XG. And not very, not very many elite strikers do that. Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So you don't really have a number nine at the club, and the one number nine that they've got, he seems to have converted into a winger, yeah. <laughs> which is quite weird. Um, mm. but yeah, since Jesus came to England, well, excluding his first season or his first half season, he might have arrived in January. So from 2017 onwards, he has underperformed by 6.1 goals. Um, which suggests he's not the best when it comes to finishing his moves. But yeah, I'll take your points. I think when it comes to City's attack, as an attacking team, obviously they are very good. Uh, second in the league at the minute for total shots behind Liverpool, funny enough. And second in the league for expected goals, again, behind Liverpool. Um, so I think their attacking game is obviously very, very good. But I, th- I understand what you mean, and I, and I agree with you. They don't have that natural... They're very good at constructing moves, mm. but they don't have that natural pace to then finish the move by putting the ball in the net, basically. Um, Chelsea so were the, like that, weren't they, really? Like, back yeah. in the last season on the Tuchel. You know, they were really good at creating chances, but they were relying on the likes of Vern and stuff um, to put them away, and he just didn't seem to do it at a, at a high enough rate. Yeah, obviously they've, they've retained this kind of... Strikerless type system. Um, it's very, it, it does suit the likes of Ruben Diaz because defensively, although they're certainly capable of putting in a high press, and we saw that against Chelsea, um, it, when the ball release gets released to certain areas, they are inclined to retreat and form a bit of a block. And to be honest, once they form that block, they are as good as as good as any defensive side, really. Uh, and that was never really the case in the past with City, I don't think. Um, but against PSG, Raheem Sterling led the line with Grealish on the left and Mahrez on the right. And against Chelsea, I think Kevin De Bruyne led the line. Let's just double check. No, Phil Foden led the line against uh, Chelsea. Grealish on the left again and Jesus on the right. De Bruyne was playing in midfield. So I think when it comes to it, an opposition perspective, analysing this team, they are quite difficult to analyse, Dave, because they don't. Mm. They just they seem to have 
loads of the same player. <laughs> the same type of really creative number 10 type forward player who's extremely good with his first touch and his technical ability and keeping possession and all that sort of stuff, creating for others. But as you said, you don't really have that that really thirsty attacker dude who's, who's disappointed if he comes off the pitch and he hasn't scored. Mm, no, that that's that's exactly the, the thing. Yeah, you know, lots of. I mean, I'm struggling to really say it a different way than what you've just said there. I think you're spot on. They have so many similar players, really good attackers. You know, players that will kind of take you from maybe the middle third to the attacking third, and you know, put the ball in really good lo- locations. Um, but yeah, I don't, it just feels like something's missing. It, it it seems really daft to say it when you look at when when they're putting like like five past Arsenal, five past Norwich, six past Leipzig. Um, you know they've got this capacity to just blow teams away, um, but I don't know. It just it feels like it's not always there, and sometimes you do need to inject that profile into the side to uh, to score. Um, yeah. It's a strange one, this. Yeah, I mean, early on, when they suffered the loss to Spurs, I did, I wouldn't say I doubted them, but I did think to myself that this season will just generally be lesser suited to City's total control game. Uh, I think I mentioned that on this pod a few months back. I, st- I still pretty much have that opinion. But... Their performance, particularly against Chelsea, they did play them off the park. It was it was a different level. Uh, combined with the fact that they're still only a point behind Liverpool alongside with the numbers that they're posting, particularly defensive numbers. They are still going to be right up there. And you could argue that it is still very much a case of if you finish above Manchester City, you win the league. It, it, mm. it, it could still be as simple as that. I know there's a general... Um, kind of craving for the, a shiny new toy type thing and pe- people are now looking at Chelsea and things like that. But I think actually Carragher said on the on Monday Night Football, I think he said it was a bit of a reminder performance from Manchester City against Chelsea where they, they kind of said, like, you know, do you remember what we did last season? It was it was There was a bit of that about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think going into this Liverpool game, it, it make no mistake, it's going to be a difficult one. Yeah. Uh, and I had to look back earlier at the last meeting, which was obviously the 4-1 loss at Anfield. And particularly the goals Liverpool conceded, two of them were just really bad build-up goals with Alisson out of character, uh, making a few mistakes and things. But I specifically thought about how Liverpool can be pressed and I thought about the difference Van Dijk will be able to make with that, given his... No long diagonal passes mm-hmm. in the direction of Salah, how that can bypass a press mm-hmm. and get Liverpool's, well, Liverpool's front three directly running at City's back line immediately. So I think to have Virgil van Dijk back for this fixture is going to be massive for Liverpool. Yeah, I uh, I fully expect a different game to that 4-1 game. Um, I think that's that's a key reason why. I think... The the empty stadium thing made things a little bit more sterile from the Liverpool perspective last season. I don't expect that to be the case this time. I think the Liverpool fans will be really up for it. It's mate, it take them AC Milan one out the equation. It's it's probably the first big game, isn't it, uh, for the fans to to kind of get behind and enjoy. Um, 
And I'll be honest, I, I do actually fancy Liverpool for this one. Uh, I know that's that's it could seem a little bit premature because of um, how how City performed last last week in a, in another really difficult game going to uh, Chelsea away, which I, I guess you know all things considered is probably a an on par um, fixture in terms of difficulty. Maybe, you know Liverpool have the edge in terms of the fan base, but just as on on the whole. And they go and win that one nil. Uh, but I just, yeah, I, I don't know why. I just, I wish I could explain better. I just fancy Liverpool for this game. Uh, I think they're just going to be really intense. City have often struggled going to Anfield, uh, coming up against that intensity when the fans are on board. You know, like those kind of Champions League performances we've been accustomed to, where Liverpool fast out the blocks, fans on side, and. So it, it, no matter who the team is, they tend to have to spend the first 20, 25 minutes just weathering the storm a little bit. Um, if Liverpool score in that period, then I expect them to win the game. If City can kind of weather the storm and get to about half an hour and it still be nil-nil, then I think they'll grow in the game and, and become quite uh, quite a problem. You know, start posing some uh, issues for Liverpool. But if, um, if Liverpool come out the blocks and get a goal, then I expect them to, to win. How much do you think City will be impacted by the week that they've already had in terms of facing Chelsea on the weekend and then obviously making the trip, I think it was, to PSG during the week? Mm-hmm. You know, three away fixtures in the same week against arguably the three best teams in Europe at the minute. You could mm-hmm. probably throw Bayern Munich in there as well. That is an incredibly difficult week that City have experienced. Liverpool is at the tail end of it and it's at Anfield. I think Liverpool will be relatively fresh going into it, considering if it will feel like a big game for Liverpool, for City, it will feel like another game, I'm assuming, because they've just played two massive ones already. How much do you reckon that could impact things? Maybe impact, I'm not tiredness, fatigue, mental side of things, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's a good point because I it, it suppose it depends which, which camp you're in, but obviously if you look at Liverpool's Champions League fixture, much easier uh, result-wise, much easier in terms of um, the mental aspects you were talking of the game. You know, it's a comfortable victory uh, on top. Not really too... Obviously, Brentford was a tougher game from that point of view. City would have exerted a lot of energy trying to get back into the game against PSG. Uh, that would have been a tough match. There would have been a lot of that against Chelsea as well. So that could definitely be a factor. You know, if if you kind of flip it though, you could maybe make a case that being involved in those kind of high high intense fixtures, um, one after the other, kind of keeps you at a, a fairly high level from the outset. Um, meaning that you you're coming into it almost at your very best. You know, kind of expecting to face the best opposition and and, and what comes with that. So maybe it could be a positive, to be, is what I'm trying to say, Josh. To, to answer your question, I'm not 100% sure which side I'm on. I can see benefits, uh, well, sorry, pros and cons for both. Yeah, one, one thing I am really interested to see is what Klopp does with his starting lineup Because um, the first game that we faced City with Jota in the squad, Klopp actually come up with, to be honest, one of my favourite little tactical moves that he's done throughout his time at Liverpool. We, we, we went to the Etihad and he selected a front four, but it, it wasn't a 4-2-3-1. It was a front four, but it was like a 4-4-2 four, 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 or 4-2-4, four, mm. whatever you want to call it. 
and he had a, a front two of Salah and Firmino. Jota was wide, ri- wide right, and Mane was wide left. Um, and it was to counteract the four-two-three-one system that Guardiola was seemingly leaning towards in matches against Liverpool. He obviously couldn't build against Liverpool particularly well. Guardiola was putting an extra deeper player back, and it was a really nice surprise that Klopp doesn't usually do. Um, and Firmino and Salah, in particular, as the front two. They were dropping back on almost man mark and City's midfield too. Um, and City really struggled in that first half. Liverpool should have been a goal up. I think they might have been a goal up actually. Might have scored a penalty. Um, but I think we ended up leaving the game one all. And the following game that we played against City, Jota was injured, I think. So it'll be interesting to see if Klopp goes with that move again. Uh, because it did cause City major problems and he hasn't been able to do it since. Um but if not, obviously the four four three has caught a four 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 three three. Has caused, I mean that'll be handy, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's obviously caused city problems in past years, but I'm intrigued to see where the clock goes all out and fields Firmino alongside the front three that's been playing lately. Mm. Uh, but we'll go with scores then, Dave. What are you saying? Yeah, I'm gonna go two 0 Liverpool actually. Please. <sighs> Yeah, I know. It just, uh, I think it could be one of those games that City just can't bypass them and, um, and Liverpool play well. Goal in the first half and goal in, after the 75th minute, if you want me to be precise. <laughs> <laughs> With the left foot of the of the Yeah, goal. that's it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you where the goal placement is as well. <laughs> uh, I think for me, I, I'm finding this hard to predict. It feels very early and it feels like there's still a number of unknowns attached to these teams and stuff. So, I think I'm going to go one all. Um, City's defence has looked really, really good. Liverpool's hasn't looked that assured, but Liverpool's attack looks ridiculous. We're scoring so many every game, having so many shots every game. So it'll be interesting to see how Liverpool's attack gets on in this game. But yeah, I think I'm going to go one all on this one, play it a little bit safe, but it could go anywhere really. I'm finding this one difficult to predict in my head. Um, but yeah, we'll end up there. So, um, Dave, nice one for joining us, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers. And next week, obviously, is international break. We might do a Q&A, which we haven't done for a while. Uh, if we do, I'll probably send out a newsletter asking for questions to be sent in. So do look out for that one. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. And we will see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.